if you have a Bible, let's open up to Joshua chapter 4 tonight. As we continue our journey through Joshua, um, next week, one minute, what's the date today? 28th, okay, so next week is the National Day of Prayer, so you guys got to come back and pray, and then Lord willing, the following week we'll continue through Joshua, and then we're going to go to Cambodia for a while, but Lord willing, we'll come back in and we'll see what the Lord does, going through this book in which the Lord is going to speak to us, he's going to speak to us about entering into the promised land. Um, Last time we were in Joshua, we saw the children of Israel had crossed over the Jordan River. Um, And we're going to get some more details regarding that today as the priests are there and God just wants to make sure that the future generation understands uh, who he is. And so we read here in Joshua 4, notice it says in verse 1, And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, And command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. And you shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, And each one of you shall take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. You know, to cross over the Jordan, and we spoke about this last time, you know, the the banks are overflowing. God stopped the river 20 miles down. So about 3 million people could cross over. And finally, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they entered into the promised land. You know, but the thing about it, though, is that God wanted to make sure that the future generations understood what had taken place. And so what the Lord told Joshua to tell these guys, one man from every single tribe of the children of Israel, is to gather up stones. And they're not going to be small stones, okay? These are going to be big stones, and uh, and they're probably going to be pretty, uh, I don't know, I guess uh, shaped in a certain way. To where when you put them all together, you know, you've got 12 stones. They would carry it eight miles to Gilgal where they would camp that night and just, you know, make a a heap of stones there. And it wasn't like this nice looking monument. It was kind of, if you think about it, in one sense, maybe it's a, a little funky. It's just a whole bunch of stones that are just piled up together. And so, you know, what ends up happening is your kids, maybe they're one years old. Maybe they're not born yet. Uh, maybe they're two, but then they then they're born, and then as time progresses, you know you're you know you're playing football with them one day or whatever. You're walking you know through Gilgal because Gilgal would eventually be an important place where David was crowned king, where David was to receive king. 
after the rebellion of Absalom, where Samuel would teach the people. It was one of the eight circuit cities of teaching. It was a, an important place. Um, so the people would go there, and then the kids would say, Dad, what's up with that? You know, what are those stones all about? You know, it wasn't like a regular building. It wasn't like a regular monument. It was totally different. And so they would ask the question, what is that all about? And the fathers and the parents would tell the children what God had done and that he had dried up the river and that the priest's feet stood firm there in the riverbank and that the three million children of Israel would cross over into the promised land. That would open the door for them to tell their children everything, to tell them how they you know, were there. And God had promised to Abraham the whole covenant land and lineage and people and descendants like the stars of the sky and the sands there on the shore and you know how God had brought them you know out of Egypt with an outstretched arm and how God had sustained them in the wilderness and how God had done all these things so that the next generation would serve the Lord you see that's the reason it says right here in verse 8 and the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. You see, what God wanted to make sure happened was that you pass the baton of faith to your children. To your children, fathers, mothers, parents, that is our responsibility in life. Not just to put food on the table, not just to put clothes on their back, not for you to do your thing. Us as a church, as parents, have that responsibility to pass the faith on to the next generation. If we don't, if we don't attempt to do that with everything that we are, we are a rebellious set of parents. And so God here, you know, in looking at this, and we're going to see all chapter 4, man, he is so concerned. You know, that's what life is about, you guys. That's what life is about. It's about, you know... Godly offspring, Malachi says. It's about having children and raising them in the ways of the Lord and training them up in the ways of the Lord so that when they're old, they won't depart. Of course, they have to make their own choices, but our hands need to be clean. You know, maybe you're older when you came to the Lord and there's nothing you can do to rewrite history, but from this day forward, you've got to do everything you can. Because if you succeed in everything else and fail at this, without having given that honest attempt, understanding and realizing the responsibility that we have as parents, then we will have missed the mark. You see, the Jews were constantly commanded to pass the baton of faith on to the next generation. In Exodus 12, 26 and 27, it says, And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? Speaking of you know, the Passover, that you shall say, is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. In Exodus thirteen thirteen, but every firstborn of a donkey 
you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And so it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. You know, when your kids ask you questions about the Lord, pay attention to them. Don't, don't do, oh, I'm doing your, well, you're doing your thing. You know, and I can be guilty of that. I can, oh, I'm studying. You know, my son will come and ask me a question about the Lord. I can't answer your question right now. I'm studying. How hypocritical is that? When your kids begin to ask you questions because things have been set up, things have been in place, isn't it cool how kids are curious? Hey, Dad, what are those stones there for? Right? God put that curiosity in them for a reason. You know, and you got to answer those questions. And I must admit, Aaron has a lot of questions, man. And they're very difficult. But I have learned God has really instilled within me, Manny, pay attention to your son. Pay attention to your daughter. Read the Bible with them. Pray with them. Teach them. Give it. Live it. Because that is so important for us to pass the baton of faith on to them. Deuteronomy 6 2021, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments? And then you answer them. Psalm 78, a lot of, turn there real quick, because there's a lot here. Psalm 78. Look what it says in verse 1. Contemplation of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. You see, this is written, you guys, for us to pass the faith on to the next generation. How important it is that all people, all of us here, and especially all parents that are here, take this responsibility to heart. You know, embrace it. It's what God's called you to do. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6.4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. How do you do that? How do you provoke them to wrath? Frustration, inconsistent discipline, not caring for them. That's what gets our kids angry with us, right? But bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Now, tragically, the fall of the parents' unfaithfulness resulted in a generation that did not know the Lord. God gave them clearly the the command, and they probably said, Amen, I'll do it. But when the rubber met the road, when they went out into life outside the church at home, they didn't do it. And there arose a generation, the Bible says, that did not know the Lord. 
or the works of the Lord. And so I just pray that we would understand what God has called us to. You know, I was praying, I was talking to my kids, you know, and I was telling them, you know, what God has done in my life. You know, how what, what the testimony that I have. And I know sometimes, you know, we're like, well, we don't want to tell our kids everything. And it's true. You've got to wait for the right time and the right place. But tell them what God has done in your life. You know, and, you know, because they don't have to go and get a testimony. They don't have to go to Egypt and be in slavery there and be set free and wander in the wilderness. No, we already did that. Right? They don't have to do that. Just tell them what God has done. Tell them who God is. We need to do that. So that they would serve the Lord. And I was praying today, Lord, reach my children, reach my wife, reach me, husbands, dads. Pray for God to reach you so that you can reach your wife and you can reach your kids. We really need that, you guys. I was talking to my kids about this and I said, listen, we've got to, you know, pass the baton on. We've got to give it. But more importantly, we've got to live it, huh? You know, it's been said, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they seldom fail at imitating them, huh? <laughs> they usually don't listen to us a whole lot. Maybe sometimes they do, but man, they'll, they'll do what you do. And that's why we have to live it. Malachi 4, 6 says, Therefore, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Get the dads back to where they need to be. Give Giving them your hearts, you know. We need to know that kids are not a short-term loan. They're a long-term investment. Whatever you do, dads, moms, you leaders, don't surrender your children to this confused and crazy culture that we live in. Don't surrender them to the school teacher or even the church teachers. It's been said one father is worth more than a hundred schoolmasters. Got to be who God's called you to be. We need to discipline our children, right? Um, I've, I read just recently about David. David was a great man of God, but, you know, he really failed in that area of disciplining his children. Eli did the same thing. What was the common denominator, man? They died. <laughs> Eli's two sons died because Eli didn't discipline them. David, his daughter got raped. His son raped her. Then he got killed, and then his other son got killed. Why? Because David didn't discipline them. Why didn't David discipline them? Because David had fallen into sin. And so he couldn't discipline them because he himself was not living the life. You know, and I know there's a lot of good dads here, man. So I hope I'm not, you know, overstepping my boundaries here. But I know there are some dads who have chosen not to be dads. Just because you biologically give birth to a child. It doesn't really make you a father. Step up to the responsibility that God's given you as a father. It's very important. Your kids will die if you don't. It's so important, you guys. I get frustrated because I know dads, they don't want to do it. And you just, you know, you guys just want to shake people sometimes, man. Slap them. Wake up. What's wrong with you? Can't you see it's right in front of you? I'm sorry, but I have to say it. Remember, discipline and love are not antithetical. One 
is a function of the other. Do it early. You know, get them when they're young, man. (laughs) I love what Spurgeon said. He said, Ere a child has reached to seven, teach him all the way to heaven. Better still, the work will thrive if he learns before he's five. Get him early. And it always works best when both parents are on the same page, right? An ancient proverb said, How can one have a sweet fragrance whose father is an onion and whose mother is a garlic? (laughs) When both are on the same page and both love the Lord, it's an amazing thing. Here we see the children of Israel. They did what God called them to do. But notice in verse 9, they even did more. It says, Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. The children of Israel did as God commanded, carrying the stones out. But Joshua also set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there to this day. And so it's interesting. There's stones over there in Gilgal. Everybody could see it. But then there's these 12 stones that are in the middle of the river. And it's weird. It's like, man, no one can see it except God. huh? And that's the one that's most important is the commitment that God sees, right? But the interesting thing, commentators tell us that that probably reveals, because the 12 stones are representative of who? The 12 tribes of Israel, right? And so here you got 12 that are what? That are buried, huh? That are buried in the river. They're dead. They died to themselves, right? And then you got 12 that what? That live in the power of the resurrection. It's a really cool thing, man. William McDonald said the stones in the riverbed speak of identification with Christ in death, and those on the West Bank speak of identification with Christ in the resurrection. And so we read in verse 10, so the priest who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, and the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people, and the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. And on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. And then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. And Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. I mean, he's just saying they all, they all came over. There are 40,000 from Gad, Reuben, the half-tribe of Manasseh. There's actually 100,000 soldiers that were counted, though, in Numbers 26. And so that means that some of the soldiers did lay, stay behind, but the 40,000 crossed, the priests crossed, the people crossed. And once they step back again, the sole of the feet, once it gets over there, man, the river comes back. And it's so cool. Everybody obeyed the Lord. The water obeyed the Lord. The priests obeyed the Lord. The people obeyed the Lord. And God 
blessed their obedience. And that's what we see, you guys. You know, I don't know how things have been going in your life, but man, one thing that the Lord has been ministering to me so much lately and going through Joshua is the importance of obedience. It's amazing, huh, what good old-fashioned obedience does, huh? Isn't it amazing? I mean, you can read a commentary and you can go and listen to that study over there. You can get caught up in religion. You can get caught up in the things of the world. But, you, you know, it's nothing like praying. God says, be a man of prayer. And then, you know, next thing you know, we're reading books on how to raise children. You know, we're doing the psychology stuff. You know, we're trying everything else. We're trying everything else. And we're frustrated. And God says, I just want you to pray. I want you to pray and I want you to read the Bible. You know, and it's like we do everything else a lot of times but that. And God says, listen, it's about obedience, you guys. Coming back to the basics. Warren Wiersbe called this whole section right here, coming back to the basics. Coming back to the basics of, you know, being a parent. Coming back to the basics, we're going to see later, circumcision, cutting away the flesh. Cutting back to the basics, we're going to see at the very end of chapter 5, of fighting the good fight. Sometimes we're in the wrong fight. Sometimes we're fighting our spouse. We're fighting, you know, you know whatever. We're, we're not fighting our flesh. We're not fighting the enemy. We're not fighting the world. And we're not using spiritual weapons to fight. So how are you going to win? I mean, if you and your spouse, you start getting in a scuffle or whatever it is, man, it happens from time to time. I don't take that lightly. Pray. Fight in the spirit. The weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God and spirit. See, we can't, like, give them the silent treatment. Right? We have to pray. We have to seek the Lord. It's just coming back to the basics of what God wants us to do so that he can bless and he can be glorified. You know, it's not an easy thing to carry the stones eight miles. Lately, I've been digging holes. It's not easy. I'll carry this. I'm getting weaker as time progresses. Pray for me, man. But imagine carrying these stones. I don't know. Maybe they had carts. I'm not sure. I I bet you it wasn't. In one sense, in one sense, it's not easy. But in one sense, it is, is when you let the Lord do the work. A lot of us here, a lot of times what ends up happening is we're getting, we're reaping the results of what happens when we sow to the flesh, when we walk in the flesh. We're reaping the things uh, that are natural. And God wants us to reap things that are supernatural. You know when they had the uh, Zeusa Street revival over there and there's a falling of the Holy Spirit and there was power in people's lives and God began to do a great work. But one of the warnings that went out from one of the guys that was there, he says, man, you've got to be careful because three things will quench the Holy Spirit. Number one, when we begin to put the Holy Spirit before Jesus, we've got to be careful of that. The Father glorifies Christ. The Spirit points to Christ, right? And people began to kind of do that, though. That was one problem. Another problem, he said, is when you begin to put praise before prayer. Now, what I mean by that, and I think what he meant by that, is a lot of times we want to just get into this emotional experience. And we're willing to do that. And we like the bass. And we like the guitar. And we like the drums. And we like the, the good singers. We like the performance a lot of times. But we're not willing to pray. See, you're going to have problems when you put the Holy Spirit before Jesus. You're going to have problems when you put praise before prayer, although they can be the same. 
You know what I mean? And you're going to have problems if you put the, the gifts of the Spirit before the fruit of the Spirit. And the church does that a lot. And God wants character from our heart, you guys. It's not about performance. It's not about the size of the church. It's not even really as much about what you do as it is who you are. Who we are. And we've got to be real. Like I said earlier, we can't be superficial or artificial. Artificial, they're not even really Christians. They come to church, they don't even know the Lord. Superficial, sometimes they are Christians. But it's like God has not really gotten a hold of all of them. Why not? Why would we come to church and be a Christian and not be fully surrendered? Why? I think of all, I think they're the the most miserable. To be fully surrendered, you guys, is what God wants for our life. Here we see that God called them to obey. They they obeyed. They stepped in the river. The Ark of the Covenant, man, it opened up a pathway for them to go into the promised land. And then we read in verse 19, the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. And notice it's not just for the children of Israel. Look what it says in verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You see, Joshua sets up the stones in Gilgal for the children of the children of Israel to know what God had done, and even that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that all may fear the Lord God forever. I was talking to my kids the other day, and, you know, um, you know, do you guys ever, like, get on a soapbox as a parent? Do you ever do that? <laughs> Man, I have to I always ask God, Lord, please help me not to frustrate them or, or whatever. But I was just, you know, communicating to them something that God was communicating to me. And that is that, you know, God, it, he really is wanting us to, to live this life, not just religion, not just I go to church, you know. Because um, some people think, well, I don't, you know, watch rated R movies, and I don't listen to, you know, Michael Jackson or whatever, you know. I go to church, and they're very religious, okay? And they think that that makes them right in God's sight. But see, you know, that's part of it probably because you are what you eat. But it's more than that. You see, you go to church, why? You go to church that God would change you that God would speak to you, that God would make you a man after his own heart. And I don't listen to garbage. Why? So that I won't be garbage. That's why. But just because I don't listen to that, 
man, I can't deceive myself into thinking that that makes me right. There's some people that listen to that, and they're better people than a lot of Christians. Sometimes they're Christians that listen to that, and they're better people than those who dot every I and cross every T. You see, it's about who you are, not just the rules and regulations, although God can use them. It's more than that. And I was telling them, man, let's get caught up in being godly people, not just going to church. Let's get caught up in the kingdom of God, I said. You know, you have gifts. Everyone here has gifts. We have a calling in life. God wants to save people from going to hell. Hell. There's a lot of people out there that are going to hell. And so what we do is we have a place in the body of Christ that we have to function faithfully in. We have to be so careful that we don't forget that and neglect that. And God says, listen, I want you to be real. I want you to teach your children. But also, I want you to be real so that I can use your life to change the whole wide world. Kind of like David Wilkerson. This guy was traveling all over the place, speaking to pastors, writing books, ministering to so many people for the kingdom of God. My kingdom go, thy kingdom come. Be so careful, you guys, that we don't forget. It's that the whole world may know. Where you're like, Manny, I'm not a Billy Graham, you know, I'm not an evangelist like David Wilkerson. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that what are you supposed to do? What part of the body are you? And then you... You function faithfully there. With all your heart, you run to win. You see, chapter 4 is all about the future. And it's a cool thing, man. You set up the monument. The kids ask, Dad, what is that? (laughs) And you tell them. And you pass the baton on to the next generation. You don't neglect that. Right? But then look at verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, And so it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Now, it's interesting that you read this verse right here, because a lot of teachers will say, okay, you know, what, what, what Joshua was probably trying to do was, you know, not only was he testifying to the fact that back in chapter 2 they were afraid, now they're really afraid, but he might even be saying something like this, that there might be a temptation now, just go get them. You know, go get them. They've lost all confidence. They're totally afraid. Man, just go get them. But the cool thing is that, you know, we realize that, you know, we're going to see it even later, that we don't just go get them. We, we follow the Lord. And you may think you're ready, but maybe there's more that needs to take place, and that's what ends up happening. Look what it says in verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves, and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself, and circumcised the sons of Israel at that time. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them, All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had came out of Egypt. 
For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. See, God wants us to live in the promised land and God wants us to to thrive in the promised land. And so he tells them, you know, make sure you pass the baton of faith on to the next generation. Don't ever give up. Do it with everything you have. Do it with all your heart. But then he says there's this thing that we have to deal with. If you want to go in and if you want to win, then you gotta, you got to cut away the flesh. That was back in Genesis chapter 17. They had established a covenant with Abraham. Other countries had done it, but they hadn't done it in connection with a covenant with God. And so what they're doing now is they're reestablishing a covenant with God. They hadn't circumcised their males the whole time they were in wilderness. And so now they're reestablishing that covenant. One, they're reestablishing the covenant with God. But part of the covenant we know in circumcising the flesh is is a cutting away, is a turning away is a repentance from our sins. You guys, and that's part of the covenant. That was part of the agreement from day one. Remember when you signed up and you became a Christian? You remember that? You accepted him not just as Savior, but as Lord. And so now what he's doing before they can go in and win, they need to reestablish that covenant with God. And that is what? The cutting away of the flesh. You guys want to win in life? Who here wants to win in life, right? We want to win as, man, I pray that you do. Husbands, dads, you know, friends, ministers, whatever it is. Well, your greatest enemy, my greatest enemy is me, huh? Me. My greatest enemy is me. You know, the devil, he's pretty whatever. He does his thing. You know, the world, there's this flow. We do have to fight against the flow of the world. But the most difficult one is, is me, and what we need to do is we need to allow God, by his spirit, to cut away the flesh so that you, can, I, you and I can walk in victory, man. It's so important. And that's what circumcision represents. It means that we are under obligation to obey God. Warren Worthy said this, If during their wilderness journey Israel was tempted to sin, how much more they would be tempted now that they were living in the land? They would be surrounded by pagan people and immoral religious practices. And they would be tempted to compromise with their enemies. Later, this is exactly what future generations did because they forgot the true meaning of circumcision. The physical operation on the body was meant to be a symbol of spiritual operation on the heart. And even Moses said in Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. How sad that over the years the Jews came to trust in the external mark of the covenant and not in the God of the covenant who wanted to make them a holy people. See, you guys, you know, I don't want to sound dramatic. You know, sometimes do I sound, I sound dramatic, right? Or maybe overpassionate or whatever, man. Manny must have had an extra cup of coffee before the study today. No, no, it's not that. It's this is the way it works. If you don't crucify yourself, you will kill yourself. You will kill those around you. You will ruin it. You will mar it. You will bring reproach to God. 
Because a lot of times we put it in cruise control. It's that important. And that's why we even read, look what it says in verse 6. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness to all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed. (laughs) Why? Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers, that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, man, God killed them. 1 Corinthians 10. It says that these things happened to them as our examples. They all went through, you know, they ate the manna. They had the, you know, Red Sea baptism. They went through the spiritual experiences, but God killed them. And what do we do? We feed our flesh. Sometimes Christians, man, they put themselves on, on, on Internet websites to date somebody. Sometimes Christians will even do that in a non-Christian. I mean, that's bad enough. But then sometimes Christians will put themselves on a non-Christian dating website. Such an individual is off the mark. Sometimes Christians will come to church and they'll do the pornography. They'll go do the drugs. A lot of things that are going on in the church. It's crazy. God will not put up with it. God will judge them. Sometimes kids, they don't listen to their parents. If you can't obey your parents, then you're not obeying God. Ministry. A lot of things. We have to crucify the flesh. We have to kill it like Saul. who's supposed to kill the Amalekites. Didn't do it. I'll just leave this one hanging around. It killed him in the end. Am I trying to be mean? No. I'm not trying to be mean. We just need to know, you guys, that there's more to life than this. That we have to take this much more seriously. That we're not playing church. We're not. We have to obey the Lord. It's very important. There's forgiveness. There's grace. There's second chances. But don't take advantage of that. These things are written that you may not sin. But if you do, we do have an advocate. Thank God for his forgiveness. But don't take it lightly. Because remember, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. There is consequences of forgiven sin. Every time you sin. Can't get around it. That's why it's important for us, you guys. Here we see in verse 7, it says, And Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. It's kind of crazy if you think about it, okay? You're, You're now in enemy territory, so to speak. And you and you get you circumcise all the guys, man. I think it was Genesis chapter 24 when the children of Israel, the guys, they did it to their enemies. And then remember what happened? They went in there and they wiped them all out. Why? Because you're in no condition to fight, right? And so in one sense, it's kind of a step of faith. Oh, we're ready. They're afraid. Their hearts are melted. They won't, you know, there's no way. And but God says, no, you know what? First get circumcised. It's establishing of our covenant. You know, in which you agree to cut away the flesh, I'm your God. 
But that would make them vulnerable. But see, when you trust the Lord, it's so cool because he'll take care of you. You know, God hasn't called us to understand. Oh, I'm going to understand all this. God hasn't called you to understand. God's called you to obey. Well, I don't see how it's going to work out, you know, and this and this. And what if that happened? That's not what it is as a Christian. God gives you marching orders one step at a time. Right? It's so important. I like what John Corson said. General Joshua, it's kind of funny because the Lord says, make flint knives for yourselves. Okay, flint knives. General Joshua must have said, what? Make sharp knives? Sure, Lord, you mean we are to make sharp swords, right, to take into battle? If we circumcise all of our men, we'll be left vulnerable in enemy territory. Yeah, but see, God is the one on the throne. Charles Wesley said, all my requests are lost and won. Father, thy will be done. See? And we need to make sure that we understand what God wants us to do. Look what we read in verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means rolling. God was kind of rolling away the reproach from Egypt. What was it? What was the reproach? You know, we're not 100% sure, but more than likely it's in reference to the fact that when the children of Israel left Egypt, they said, we're on the way to the promised land. You know, they were like land flowing with milk and honey. But due to their disobedience, they were wandering in the wilderness, right? And all those 38 years of wandering in the wilderness, it brought shame. Shame to them. And it brought reproach to the name of God. Because when we don't live the life, when we're carnal as Christians, it drags the name of our master through the mud. God wants to take away the reproach. And God wants to bring honor to his name again. How is that going to happen? Good preaching? No. Good living. Right? And that's what ends up happening when God brought them in. They were obedient. They, okay, Lord, we'll step in the river and we'll do these different things and we'll take these rocks. And, and then God, was, his name was honored again. The Bible says, Proverbs 13, 14, 34, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It can happen nationally. It can happen personally. Psalm 39.8, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. The heartbreaking thing is that we drag God's name through the mud. Psalm 74, verse 10, Oh God, how long will the adversary reproach? Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? How long? How long? I was talking to a guy. He works for the fire department today. And he was telling me he got busted. He got in trouble, man. The bosses came down on him. Why? Because he prayed to God. He told the girl, I'm going to pray for you. He got in trouble for that. It's crazy, huh? The world that we live in, you guys. But you know what? Keep praying. Be bold. You know, this nation is changing. They're turning away from God. There's, you know... We've got to try as a church to pray and to just, you know, try to 
you know, hang on to the Lord. But we just cannot compromise. And they told me, even as a chaplain the other day, they said, you know what? You crossed the line. You went too far. You said too much. We're going to get in trouble. And I told them, you know what? I don't care if I get in trouble. I don't want to be a chaplain if I can't talk about Jesus Christ. And you can't either. You've got to speak the name of Jesus Christ. You've got to live. You've got to be bold. Otherwise, what do we got? What do we have? If we're not living for the Lord, it's crazy. But a lot of times the church and the people, they're just wanting to do their own thing. And we can't. Here we see the Lord wants to bring away the reproach. Verse 10, Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight. On the plains of Jericho, and they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover of unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. And then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. The children of Israel kept the Passover. They ate the produce of the land. The manna ceases on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. You see, through circumcision and the Passover, the Lord was calling his people back to the basics of their relationship with him. This great truth was embodied in their annual Passover feast. Again, we just kind of come back to this. They were never to forget, never to forget that they were redeemed people set free by the blood of the Lamb. And that's where we have to be as well. We close in verse 13. It says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? Or for our adversaries. And so he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. You see, it has to be established. It has to be established. A couple of things have to be established. Number one, who's really in charge? Who's really in charge? Was it Joshua? Was, is it you? It's the Lord, huh? You know, Joshua says, hey, are you for us or against us? That's not really the right question to ask God. <laughs> he didn't even say anything, right? But here's the thing. The better question is, are you for God or against God? That's a better question. Are you really for him? Or are you against him? Because sometimes we can do religious things and do more damage than good. You have to settle in your heart. Are you for him or against him? He's a holy God. He tells us to take off our sandals for a reason, right? 
Sandals are symbolic of the work of God. You know, they were standing on holy ground. And when we're ministering, we need to understand, you guys, what's really going on here. And so a heavy message here in Joshua 4. You know, interesting, the future, the future children, the future generation. Make sure you pass that baton on, okay? And then we see the flesh. Cut away the flesh. Get rid of it. You have power to do it by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Don't make excuses. You can live for God. And then the fourth and third thing and the final thing is the fight, the fight. You know, the cool thing is, yes, the Lord says this and I'm in charge. But you know what's cool about it? It tells me this. God is with me. God is with us, you guys. And I just thank God that he's with us in this fight and we're not alone. Maybe you feel alone. I'm sure Joshua felt alone. Sometimes leaders, they feel very alone. But none of us here are alone, you guys. The Lord is with us. And so please, you know, pray for me. I'll be praying for you not to play church, but to really live the life. And if you need help and if you're struggling and if you need prayer, talk with us afterwards, man. But whatever you do, don't leave today without having that commitment, that covenant to, to live a different life. Today is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to fully, uh, fully surrender our lives to the Lord. Father, I just come before you. I know you love us, Lord. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And I know, Lord, many of us here tonight, we know you, Lord. Um, We know you as our, our Savior, but I think a lot of times we forget. We just forget, Lord, and I thank you for your reminders. Lord, that you are you are in charge, that you are Lord, that you are master. And that you really do want us to live the life and to just rise up to the responsibilities that we have. Not to go half-hearted, but to give everything to you, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray tonight by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that tonight would be a special night. That tonight, Lord God, would be a night in which many hearts are turned. Lord, that people are awakened. Father God, it's a choice that has to take place in every single soul that I will live for Jesus Christ. I will remove the sin and Lord, I'll put on the righteousness of Jesus. And so we thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We need you, Lord. I pray, Lord, you would awaken us. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll close in a second.